Hello and welcome to another edition of American Scouser Podcast. I am Galley here from warm Western Massachusetts, which is crazy because I was here in freezing, snowing Western Massachusetts on Monday. Uh, but it is wonderful to have the spring weather coming through, and it's even more wonderful to do a podcast like this midweek after a wonderful Champions League win on the road. Jamie, how are we doing, and how is North Carolina? Uh, Scott, I mean, the weather's getting warmer, right? It's brilliant down here now. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I played golf in uh, shorts and a t-shirt today, so it had to be pretty good. <laughs> Unlike me and Gally with our 15-year-old bodies, you might look good in a pair of shorts. Well, the problem is you get a little bit of the pasty whiteness, and I think that really deters people. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one thing I don't have to worry about because somehow I was born 75% Italian or 75% Irish and got all 25% of the Italian complexion that I have. So the pastiness, I don't have to worry about. The uh, cold in the range hitting balls to the left, balls to the right, and chasing them in the woods, buying a new sleeve for the guy who lent them to me, that on the golf course I have to worry about. That's right. Which is why we talk about football on this program and not chasing <laughs> a ball around a large parcel of land. Much happier so with Jamie, that. <laughs> before we jump in uh, to our uh, match recaps and start to get into our agenda tonight, let's go to... Irish Jamie's Liverpool news. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excellent. Gally, thanks for that uh, warm introduction there. Let's kick off straight away here with young Harvey Elliott. 19 in April, folks, becomes the youngest Liverpool player and English player in European Cup Champions League knockout stages. Uh, moving on, fan favourite and former Red, Jose Enrique, has signed up for the LFC Legends charity match versus the <clears throat> Barca Legends, Saturday, 26th of March. The tickets are available now. Uh, also, we've got new photos released of the Annie Road expansion. That's to be completed 23-24 season, and it'll see Anfield reach 60,000 capacity. And finally, uh, a lovely heartwarming, heart-wrenching story. Riley Foster, uh, a Canadian native, formerly of uh, West Virginia University, she had 39 clean sheets and 84 appearances in West Virginia. Made her LFC debut against United in 2020. She suffered a horrific, truly horrific accident in Finland. Um, and just three days before, she actually flew out of the windscreen of her car with four other friends in the car, um, which people say might have saved her life because the, the roof was crushed. Anyway, just three days before, she was the LFC savior, having saved the penalties, um, some spot kicks to help beat Villa. Uh, on pens, but thanks to her halo fixation device keeping her neck steady, her own hard work, determination, the healthcare system in, in Finland, and then sending her back to Merseyside as well, her friends, family, all the rat, her bones have finally, they're, they're almost fully healed. It's an absolute miracle. But you can get that full interview on, on liverpool.com there. That's a, a, a truly great story to, to hear. Awesome. Jamie, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, great bit of news. And uh, cheers to you, my friend. And I appreciate you covering the whole gamut of this club, which is exactly what this podcast is supposed to be about, all facets of the club. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a great story. It, it, you know, it, fantastic. Um, great ambassador for the club. The story's truly horrendous. She's not talking about getting involved in, in well, you know, football back again. So she has a year period, but great interview. Um, I mean, we all love Liverpool and, and we all love the, the the Liverpool women that are in our lives, our, our better halves, our Liverpool fans. We love watching the Liverpool women do well, which on that, they're, what are they, the 10 games or seven games on the run? They're doing really well. Yep. They're going to get motivated again. I believe 10 points, 10 points in first place. 10 points clear. Yep. Looks points like, clear. Seven looks wins like on the bounce. A great position to make their way up. So, uh, our first comment here to post on the screen comes from our friend David Cosgrove. Cosby says, what's happening? Well, let's I talk about what's happening, guys. And what was happening? Cosby, start, start the trivia in the comment section. You you guys play along. We'll just talk amongst ourselves. 
what was happening was the match yesterday at Milan. So oh, yeah. um, always great to play against a European giant, another European champion, right? It's what the Champions League is all about. It gives us the best of the best from all the different um, leagues across the continent. And it gives us, in my opinion, a different feel than what the Premier League does. So anytime I get ready for a European lineup, I expect subtle changes and differences because the way you attack those matches are very much different to how a match plays out in the Premier League. So on our screen, for those who might be listening to the podcast, is the lineup uh, from yesterday that Jurgen decided to roll out. So let me see what you guys, I want to start with you, Scott. When you first saw this lineup and you saw the two major changes, Kanate being in the, in the defense, and of course, young Harvey Elliott getting the start over Jordan. What was your initial response and take upon seeing this line? I was incredibly pleased. I think that it was a matter of time that Matip went ahead and got a well-deserved break because, you know, giraffes can't run every day, I feel like. So, <laughs> you know, throwing throwing Kanata in in a in a you know a round of 16 match at the San Zero, a legendary uh atmosphere that you know i heard post game van dyke was particularly fond of playing there um was incredible it was incredible for him and and if you even think about you know how young konate is then you look at harvey elliott and just shy of 19 years old right now i mean he he's getting a start his first ever european start for liverpool regardless of you know competition first ever european start for liverpool and coming in and playing a round of 16 match i mean you know, credit to him. <laughs> and Jamie, how about you? When you saw this lineup and you saw Kanate starting at the back, what was your impression of the why? Did you have a do you have a thought in your mind? Because I don't believe it was just rotation. I, I you know I have some opinions on why it was Kanate in this matchup. But what were you thinking when you saw him over Matip in such a big match? I mean. The first thing that, that that comes to mind in difference between him and Matip is strength. I mean, he he's a stronger, he's a beast on the ball. Um, now Matip obviously has his plus points, not generating abilities, which I'm sure we'll get to later on in the game. But um, yeah, strength for me, simple. Um, Laturo Martinez, great striker. Zeko, another accomplished striker. I, I thought a bit of strength, you know. Yeah, and I'm with you there, Jamie. I actually, uh, on Monday night's podcast, for any of the listeners who listened in, I actually kind of made a point that I thought Kanate would start this match. And the bigger purpose of it was was it was really Jekko. I felt like Jekko's physical presence as a point striker almost allowed for Kanate to use the same physical imperious presence that he used the last time we played at the San Siro when he basically picked up Ibrahimovic and put him in his pocket and walked him around the pitch for the entire match. I thought, I, I find it uh, refreshing that the two greatest performances I believe I've seen Kanate perform in were both matches on the road against major European competition in AC Milan and Inter Milan. I think if it were up to Kanate, we'd play all of our matches in Italy and he would just dominate them from all sides across. Um, what, what was it about the Elliott start, Jamie, to you specifically? What was it about the Elliott start that got you excited, made you nervous? What was your reaction when you saw Elliott's name on a team sheet in such a big match on the road? I mean, put yourself in the kids' boots. You know, you're 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 in Milan, right? I mean, the kid's a, a young, fashionable kid. You know, he he knows what Milan's all. He's probably been there. You know, he's probably traveled there. Um, but it's a, a, an impressive city. It's an impressive stadium. Um, so to walk around that stadium with no fans in there and then gently let that atmosphere build, he must have been very excited. I was too. Um, you know, we, we spoke, I spoke on, in the news that he, he's not even 19 yet. And he, that's his, his debut in the Champions League knockout stages. He's the youngest English player to do it. Um, 
I think that before him was Trent, and then before Trent was Ashley Gibbs. So I mean, this is this, it, it, it's it's been it's been get it, but um, yeah, I was excited to see Harvey play. Um, he, unfortunately, as I'm sure we'll get to, he didn't really fulfill what was what was asked of him. But you know, Klopp kind of made us all aware of that. Yeah, and I, I think that's a great point, Jamie. You know, Klopp did make the comments pre-match, you know, and he actually said it to the media. And sometimes when a, a person, when a manager that is such a good man management gaffer goes out of his way to say something to the media ahead of time, it almost prepares the fact that he knew this was a big decision. And he wanted to make sure everyone knew the outcome wasn't on Harvey Elliott, right? I loved it. If he plays great, it's all on the kid. And if he plays poor, it was all on me. Because, yeah. and to me, that really stated he knew it was a question of whether or not you should be starting this kid. On Monday night, I thought it was too much too soon. Um, my biggest concern is that he's a 19-year-old footballer with the world at his feet. Yet I want him to grow into the player that can take on the world. And I feel sometimes we want to make him a savior. He came back and he scores a worldy goal and – Everyone yeah. I know says he should be starting over Jordan Henderson. He should be playing over Thiago. <laughs> and he needs to go into the right wing if Mo can't play. And I'm thinking to myself, this kid shouldn't even be playing on a pitch right now. He should be resting a dislocated ankle. But he works so hard and he has so much ability. And the manager loves him so much. But sometimes I feel like just like we need to protect ourselves against the expectations of these players, I think the manager really should have protected if it were me, I would have given someone else the start and brought him in for what I hoped would be the impact that I think we're going to get to in the second half when we talk about those subs who came in. Sure. Personally, I thought it was a little too much too soon. Um, and I thought it being on the road only made it even more difficult. Where if that match was at Anfield, I think he beds in a little bit better. Um, he has all the talent. And to Kazi's point, I can't wait till, you know, he wins the Ballon d'Or in five years either. And the crazy part is, is the kid has all the ability to be at that level of international quality player. But I think that will come with time. And I think what we learned on Wednesday was there are moments to play young kids and moments to bet in new signings and then there are moments to go with your more tried and trusted and true you know um Approach. attack minded and balanced professionals and i felt what we saw from harvey was a little bit of um inexperience you know he was a little naive at moments even the way he went into tackles the way he looked at things my other big fear i will have to admit was is that european matches are refereed completely different. And I think sometimes there, I want those cooler heads to prevail. You know, we've seen the little flicks that come up with a red card, the heavy dive-in tackle. And that made me nervous about a kid that excited and that pent up and that, you know, overwhelmed with the moment. So we've come down off the lineup. I think we were all okay with the rest of the lineup. What was the opinion that you guys had say at the 30 minute mark as we're watching them just completely kind of gut through us come at us um did either of you and we'll start with you jamie expect inter milan an italian based team to come out with a premier league like frenetic pace i mean no i didn't you know, the Italian teams are known to be defensively solid, um, sit back a bit, not quite as gung-ho and cutthroat as as the Prem is. But nobody is. The Prem's the most exciting, the most fast-paced, physical. I mean, it's got everything. It takes every box. Italians, not so much. Um, and, it, you know, I know we're not here to talk about what everybody else thinks about Liverpool. We're here to talk about what we think about Liverpool, etc. But uh, 
I believe there was um, there was an article I read on BBC or something about uh, the newspapers and the radios in Italy asking the Italian nation how they felt um, Inter Milan were going to do against Liverpool. And 50% of them said that Inter Milan were going to get hosed. And, I mean, that like you would imagine a certain bit of national pride even to creep <laughs> in there and just be like, nah, we're, we're going to slaughter Liverpool, you know? But... You know, even the Italians knew they were they were up against. And Inzaghi said it himself. Inzaghi said it himself. You know, we're, Liverpool were the team that they wanted to avoid the most. So I mean, no, I you get what you you get what you you paid for with with the Italian sides. I think. And it, and it is a great point. You know, the media was talking about how dominant they were, and and Kazi jumped back in here with a with a quick comment. You know, can't believe how lucky Liverpool were. With all them zero shots on target for Inter. Come you on, Cosby. You know better. You know better than to talk to an Irish man about luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean He's to to jump things. to jump off Cosby's uh, point. I mean, yep. uh, there we uh, the AmericanScouser.com posted a great picture earlier today on the uh, match momentum chart. Everyone should go onto the page and take a quick look at that when they can. But I mean, the the opportunities and the momentum when it comes to the goal scoring, you know, positions was all Liverpool. I mean, the reality is, yes, Inter Milan did hit the crossbar in the first half, but besides that, they had no shots on target. That doesn't count as a shot on target. So they ended the game with zero shots on target. I saw it was the first time that Inter Milan has finished a home game since two thousand and nine, either in the league or in Europe with zero shots on target. And that speaks to a whole lot more than just luck. That speaks yeah. to a calculated effort from our entire team on basically how to show of all teams, Italians, how to defend in San Siro, where some of the greatest defenders ever have played in the past. So what do you hear this? This was a tweet I, I read um, just after the game as well. So statistically, no team in the competition has produced more shots per game than Inter Milan this season. 19.7 shots on average, yet this has only resulted in eight goals. For reference, Liverpool took 17.8 shots a game and have scored 17 goals a season. Wow. Two different animals, two completely different animals. And the cheek of some people to, uh, to suggest that luck was involved I can't wait to the 8th of March. We get them back to Anfield. Can't wait. Yeah, and 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 to Darren and to Daz's point, and Darren O'Connor, um, you know, not once did I think Inter would rattle us. And I, I'm actually with him. I wasn't as much worried about Inter as I was our play. You know, our first 30 minutes of play seemed disjointed. We appeared sure. to not be on the on the boil. Like you know, granted, we had opportunities. You know, let's touch on a couple of those opportunities in the first half. Probably the most glaring uh, being the Sadio Mane miss uh, on the right. I thought you were going to say the overhead kick guy for a second. Well, we're not going to we're not going to hammer on someone missing a beautiful overhead kick. I'd still um, be celebrating. If that, went in, if that went in, I'd still be celebrating. I'd be off in the woods, man. <laughs> We, we all can celebrate goals that almost go in. I think part of being a Liverpool supporter is recognizing, to your point, Jamie, from the comment before, when you're creating 17 to 18 chances a game, you, you, you kind of do start to forget about the ones that hit the side netting, the ones that treble off to the side. Sure. But coming into that half, as we're going in, you know, nil-nil, as we march into that half and – we are at a nil-nil tie, you know, a nil-nil draw in a tie that is important. And we're going to get to the away goals being removed from the Champions League and how that changes a two-legged tie a little later in the podcast. As we're going into halftime, did either of you believe that changes were needed? And Scott, we're going to start with you. Uh, I think immediately the answer would be yes. I, I think that the first half was very entertaining, maybe for the neutral, but for you know us Liverpool fans that know that we could have played better than we did, um, we recognized that there were some gaps that we needed to clear up. Um, I personally did not think that that change was going to be Jota. 
Uh, I thought that had we made a change, it would be in the midfield at halftime. That being said, obviously, hindsight's twenty twenty. It seems that he uh, came out of the game with a knock. But uh, regardless, when, when coming out for the second half, I did think that Liverpool needed some sort of different dynamic. Um, I didn't believe it was going to be Firmino at that point. Obviously, it worked out. But yeah, we, we definitely needed something because for sure in the first half, we were pressing, we had great opportunities, and I think credit to Mane on creating those opportunities for himself with his movement and with his, you know, just sheer intensity of trying to get into a goal-scoring opportunity. Uh, that being said, I think that it was disjointed. I thought that our midfield connection between our defense and our offense on transitions was very, very poor. And I think that we really you know, relied on maybe Fabinho or Tiago trying to make a piercing pass that, you know, if it doesn't come off, it, it's it's very low probability. So I thought that a change was necessary, yeah, but specifically in the midfield. And Jamie, what if you if you felt the same way as Scott did regarding kind of the disjointedness between the front three and the midfielders, when that substitution was getting ready at half. Did you expect it to be a midfield player? Did you expect it to be a player from the front three? You know, I honestly, when I saw Firmino getting ready, I thought maybe we were going to be switching systems and moving to a 4-2-3-1, that Klopp was going to maybe take off of what Napoli had done the week before to enter and really how they kind of neutralized their five-man midfield and did it with more of an attacking-minded set. When I saw Bobby walk up and the number 20 go up on the board, my, my my mindset changed a little bit because I, I, I genuinely thought that would be a, a substitution for Harvey Elliott at that point. Um, sure. What were your thoughts when you saw that for second well, half? So? I'll be honest with you. I was, I was still uh, absolutely livid with the referee for blowing it up um, as Mo was running through end of the first half. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you pose a great, you pose a great question. Um do I think somebody in the midfield should have been made first? Obviously, we know now in hindsight why Jota came off. Uh, precautionary, of course. But but even still, as we're going to get on to the the Fabi, you know, like the, the subs worked. Let's not let's not beat a, a dead horse here. But um yeah, it was strange. I I was kind of of the opinion, you know, let the let the guys go out. We'll grow into the game. I'm sure, you know, Harvey's um being blooded into this game, but um, yeah, I mean, a little shocking. But yeah, when the when the subs work, they work. You know, like 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 Klopp kind of said about Harvey. Um, if he doesn't play well, it's on me. If he does play great, it's all on him. Um, same thing with with the other with the 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 trif the triple trifecta of subs that were were sent out to to devour some Italians. That was just. Excellent. <laughs> it was nice. And I, I you know, I, I found it especially gratifying to see Henderson come on at that point um, yeah. and make such a big impact because he, he had a tough match over the weekend. You know, he's been criticized recently for his play, really this entire campaign when you add in the injuries, um, a little bit of drop in form, uh, you know, that he completed more passes in his time on the pitch yep. than Harvey, Thiago, and Fabinho combined. And they start that just shows the measure of the man, doesn't it? That just shows <laughs> what he's all about. Like I will hold my hand up. I've criticized him um recently. Not not necessarily <laughs> in the past. I was a big advocate of him uh in his early days. Um I have to admit I definitely didn't like a lot of the stuff that was being talked about him in the early days, but we now know the measure of the man, like I'm saying. We know exactly what he's all about. Grit, determination, hard work, the voice of the club. He he chases every ball with his words. He he kicks every ball. You know, if you make a mistake, you're the he's the first voice you'll hear. Um, very much like Carragher. Carragher was the voice, you know, Gerard wasn't. Um and and Hendo had had the ability to learn from both of them. Um, but like you said, with the passing and the, the, the determination to grab the game and, and, and force an impact on it, I mean, he, he's he's fantastic. But like I said, I've, I'll definitely hold my hand up. I've been critical of him recently because he's not getting any younger. 
But I think that was the perfect time for him. 45 minutes to go out there and, and show the team how to do it. Like creating more passes than three midfielders. That's a joke. <laughs> three midfielders who got to start the match. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's another big key. And now I will say I was a little shocked uh, when it's when, you know, Diaz, Keda, and Hendo come on all together. And one of those numbers going up was Fabinho's. I, three. I, I was shocked. Yep. Hold my hand up. I expected uh, Thiago to come off along yeah. with, you know, a couple others. And so why do you when think it, it was? Why do you think he didn't? Uh, I think it was a combination. I think one. I think Fabinho has played a lot of minutes, and I think Jurgen knows there's a lot of big matches coming up. I also think a big part of it was was that they were doing nothing at that point to actually require you to play a holding mid in front of two center backs that were bossing the entire pitch. And I think that's maybe somewhere we should spend a couple minutes here before we get into the goals and before we get into the absolute ball of talent that is Louis Diaz. And we will spend some time talking about what Louis Diaz can bring to this offense and what we see every time he comes on. I felt in a lot of ways that this was the best, of Virgil van Dijk we have seen since the injury. And I, as great as Matip has played all year, and I think he's been our best center back since day one of this season over the whole course of the campaign, I feel this might have been the most complete performance we saw of a center back pairing that takes us all the way back to like healthy Joe Gomez pre-injury playing along Virgil where they looked like they were literally the best two center backs in all of the EPL. Um, so for me, let's talk a little bit about that defensive shape, that defensive strength and what you saw from the partnership between Kanate and Van Dyke and what you think that might mean for the progression of this, uh, side as a whole, Scott. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, definitely looking at the beginning of that second half, uh, you, you could see Inter's tactics they were putting it along the sides they were trying to get it over our um you know bombing outside backs and and they were looking to bring it into the center either on a cross or through the dribble and that put a lot of pressure into Konate and Van Dyke whether that be you know players coming at them with pace or whether that be crosses going in I mean I lost count of how many balls came in from you know the the our right side over Trent that Konate swept away. I mean, it was, it was incredible. And their, their combination of just pressure and cover and, and their ability to back each other with their pace um, was something that obviously we require from playing such a high, high line and, you know, credit to Klopp. He's, he's brought in yet another player that, fits the bill in terms of what he's looking for with that pace, with that composure on the ball and with that very high press and intensity. And, you know, for sure, Konate, you know, I, I saw that Van Dyke got the man of the match in the end, but, you know, Konate deserved that shout. I think, I think that, you know, with everything that comes from a game at the San Siro with a European champions league knockout game, I think Konate was fantastic. I mean, Really, really good. So obviously, um, Diaz comes in, brings just a ball of energy, starts running at defenders. He's so direct. Um, if there's one thing that caught my eye, it's just his movement. He, he moves as if he's played inside this system for five years. Yep. And he's been here for five minutes. <laughs> and to me, it just shows the actual work of the recruitment team to be able to scout players and see their skill sets and know when they'll fit in. And the fact that he's been able to bet in and actually make this type of an impact. I mean, if it takes two amazing blocks by Inter Milan to stop him from getting his first goal of, uh, of his Liverpool, you know, camp or, or of his account and opening his account and you can almost see the pain on his face when he doesn't score because 
he knows it's coming. He knows it's moving. And he just knows that it's exactly where he wants to take it. Um, so when Diaz makes these runs, he's making the interactions, he's playing off of uh, Mo, and, and we still haven't broken through for that first goal yet, right? Where was it? Was there a point in that match where you started to think to yourself, where's this goal coming from? How are we going to see this goal? Because I will be honest, there was a time period for me where it just felt like it might be one of those days um, where we attack, attack, attack. We have 20, 25 opportunities and 10 on goal and none go in. And then the miraculous flick header. So, Jamie, for you, can you explain to me why in 2022 – there isn't a defender on a post anymore. I appreciate why the Italians had no defender on the post. <laughs> but, you know, you've been watching this sport, I think, longer than I have. Can you explain to me why there was no defender to just flick that ball off? Cardinal sin? Absolutely cardinal sin. I mean, that's schoolboy stuff. You have a man on both posts unless, I mean, God knows what the Italians thought they were doing. But um, that flick on header, look, I... I'm going to be a bit controversial here. I, yes, look, Bobby's out there making no-look headers now. You know, we joked in the Discord channel. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to be a bit controversial. I think Bobby's just getting his flick on. I'm, he's just first to the ball. He's just directing that. He's just glancing it into, the, into that channel, into that uh, uh, corridor of uncertainty was, was, the, was the, the chat back in the day. Um, and because he's he just flicked it with so little pace on it, it's as if the ball starts outside of the post. The ball just because it's slow, it drifts in. It, it he doesn't make great contact, but you know, Megan and I were 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 kind of joking in the Discord channel, and Megan was the one who said Bobby out here making no look headers, make make them look <laughs> easy, and and. Look, I was drilled as a as an attacking midfielder and striker. The goalposts don't move. They are stationary. If you're good, you know where they are. Wherever you are on the pitch, head down, you were always told, head down, don't look up. Same as golf. Don't look up to start celebrating. Listen, and, and you'll hear it hit the back of the net. The goalposts do not move. Um, yeah, I... I I think Bobby is just getting contact on it. He's not trying to get it into that far post, but absolute cardinal sin. Definitely should have been a player on that back stick. <laughs> um, they should be fined a week's wages. Ridiculous. Call themselves Italian. Call themselves Italian. And they can't yes, defend. Be what is that? Grave. <laughs> Scott, what about you? After that first goal goes in, Right. And I'm with you, Jamie. I think that Bobby was absolutely flicking that ball into the danger zone, hoped it found its way into the mixer, and it but, just happened hey, to find look, its way into the bottom backhand corner. And that's okay, too. It, it, absolutely okay. No problem there. It's for arseholes like me and you and Scott to discuss this and be like, no, he meant it. I'm like, I don't give a shit. We're celebrating either way. That's right. It, it, it doesn't matter if intent, intent doesn't go down on the scorecard, just that man's name. Absolutely. So we score the first goal. There was a relief. I could see it amongst the players because their tails went up as soon as that first goal went in because they knew Milan had to come out now. Inter was going to have to make the move on them. And you could almost feel that they had their attacking verb, that they got you know excited for the next opportunities. Yep. So as we move that forward, right, and Virgil goes and drops, um, is able to drop that, header down and Kanate lays it off and Mo touches the ball into the, you know, back into the net. Scott, what were you thinking? Was it good night, the lights two nil up tie is over. Were you more <laughs> along the lines of uh, this is still something we have to fight through. Where did you take it from there? So we'll, we'll go to my, my thought at the end of the game that we have a two nil score line. I am never a, Okay, case closed, done. It's I mean, this is halftime. This is this is halftime. And we would be naive to go into a game against albeit the current reigning Italian champions 
saying that this game is over. Even if it's at Anfield, even if we are in form, this is just halftime. And it's that. That's Come on, Scott, put on your rose tinted glasses. <laughs> we're going through. We're going through. We're going through. Oh, I through. mean, Jamie, you you can't say we're going through yet. We still got to sing about Wembley, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Don't you worry about that, my friend. <laughs> yes, but I I do think that let's let's not miss the opportunity to talk about the attacking input past that first goal. Um, oh yeah. I do want to do that special shout out that I feel like we we swished through a little bit. How about Diaz? I mean, to come into a team, like you said, and just kind of fit like a glove. He's been here for a week and he's making these runs across to the right side of the field and laying over and changing positions and interchanging with players and Salah. And I mean, it's, it was a joy to watch to just see another player fit the mold. And obviously he's been here a week, but now we've had three uh, chances to see him three different games to see what he can do. And I mean, it's impressive. The fact that he's able to make those runs to connect with Trent to, to get onto the end of balls and, and just looks like a constant threat, a constant menace to defenders. I mean, wow, that was fantastic. And then you, you mentioned, you know, our goals. Well, let's talk about, you know, two more goals with uh, free kicks. I mean, two more set-piece goals. And, yeah, Van Dyke's knocked down into Salah. It looked like Salah knew that the ball was going in regardless of how. He knew that that ball was getting to the back of the net, and he needed his goal. And uh, credit to him, credit to the team. They, they got the job done. I'm, I'm giving Kanate assist on that goal. I don't give a shit how <laughs> close he was to it. That man jumped out of it like, like Lord God himself. Divar yeah. Origi was in. It was in. Was 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 coming after him. Like he right out the way. I don't know what Mo managed to whisper to him, but he said, "Step off, man." Yep. And you know, fair play to Kanani. And like Scott said, you know, we kind of glazed over Diaz, but I feel like you could pull up that lineup list again, and we could go through every man on the first 11 and the 12 on the bench, because the 12 on the bench, we joked again about in the discord, like the 12 on the bench could have made a decent 11. Um, yep. We we've glazed over Kanate. We've, we've glazed over, you've glazed over Diaz a wee bit. Um, but the, you know, to a man, we played phenomenal. Well, we didn't play phenomenal. We didn't, we done all right. We grinded the job out, which is much That's more right. important than when you play phenomenal. Because when you play phenomenal, it's it seems easy. You know, you make the hard things look easy. Yeah, it was hard. We made it look hard because it was. You know, we, we grind them out. Yeah, Milan didn't threaten as much um, as possibly they could have. Um, but, but Martinez and Zeko, as soon as they got faced with Kanate and, and, and Virgil van Dijk, they shit themselves. That was it. Game over. And, and and yes, Scott, you're absolutely right. And we'll play we'll play the the it, we're halfway through card. But inside, all us fans know it's tie over. And and Jurgen and the lads are 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 waxing lyrical about yes, it's only halfway. And inside, I hope to God, inside, I hope they're pissing themselves. I hope <laughs> we're laughing our heads off because once we get them back to Anfield, it's it's good night, McKnight. You can stop reading my mind. I'm going to save face and still say it's only halftime. I'm sticking <laughs> to it, okay? I don't care what I really think. It's only halftime. <laughs> and and Chris Strain, Chris Strain jumps in with, you know, it's the Champions League. It's supposed to be hard. And I think this is where we're at as supporters. We genuinely believe we go anywhere and we beat everyone. We'll beat Bayern Munich and Bayern. We'll beat Inter and Inter. We beat AC Milan at AC Milan. We'll beat Atletico at Atletico, right? We're just, we've gotten to a point where we expect to win every single match. And we expect every single match to be like a world beater performance, which isn't fair to the lads. And I think to Jamie's point, there was a much deeper bench than we've seen in a long, long time. So Chris also made a great point here and brought up how Inzani seemed nervous, right? And actually genuinely what is the response going to be? Because it's really going to be the picture of calm when they're at Anfield. So I want to I want to kind of fast forward to the match at Anfield. And what I want to get on your opinion on here is 
the removal of the away goals tiebreaker in this knockout competition and what your opinion of it because honestly i've heard it both ways and i have my own which i'll share in a minute but jamie when you first heard uefa decided to remove the away goals tiebreaker did you believe it was going to help this competition or hurt it is this the LFC news in 60 seconds? Because this is the first time I'm hearing this. Apparently, nobody told Mo Salah there's no away goals. That <laughs> man didn't give two shits. He got his anyway. We're 2-0 up, lads, away. Um, no, in all seriousness, away goals, it's part of my staple diet. You know, that's that's how I, I know the Champions League. That's how I know the European Cup. But that's, that's all we know. Um, it's a difficult pill to swallow. Even Klopp was told about it. You know, like... He was a player. He he was a, a fan as well, watching these games, watching that drama unfold with the away goal. Um, conversely, you could say that with away goals gone now, you're not you're not chasing away goal away from home. So that doesn't mean you're left open at the back because you're chasing an away goal. Therefore, you can get home, and it's you know it's 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 a difficult fish to fry, but. You know, you can fall down on either side off it and still be okay because guess what? There's still another team on the pitch. They have to get their turn as well. You know, both teams have an away leg, right? So, I mean, I'm I'm in between. I nostalgia-wise, I'm always going to miss it um, for the drama, but it doesn't really if hasn't touch wood hasn't hasn't affected Liverpool as much recently in recent history in our champions league endeavors as it possibly should have you know barcelona famously we didn't score away mm-hmm. um we scored all four at home save the save the best to last um so yeah i mean it's difficult nostalgia is definitely going to miss it my my brain is automatically going to treat every away game like it is an away goal so it'll it'll take some getting used to i guess yeah, Jamie, I, I think I, you know, I, I like your point how, you know, knock on wood, knock on wood, that it, it hasn't affected us. But I'm going to disagree with you in a little bit in, in a sense that it hasn't changed the game. And I think it does do a disservice to teams that have fortresses at their home stadium. I think to teams like Liverpool that do so well in their defensive responsibilities when they play at home and other teams may see, oh, well, we don't have to worry about, you know, how many they score at ours because we get to go there. It, it, there's no difference. There's no difference on what the weight of a goal is. And when Liverpool were so sturdy, when Barcelona came with a 3-0 lead to Liverpool and didn't score a single goal there, you know, had we let up one goal – it could have changed everything. Our intensity was so, so tight because of that rule. And I think it takes away a dynamic and a little special feeling for fans and for players that that rule's gone. There's there's no additional level of intensity or or that other level of just drama that I think we came to love. Yeah, yeah and And that's actually, that takes me into my point, Scott. Um, of where I kind of how I feel about it when I first really got into this game 10 15 years ago and probably about eight eight seven eight years ago where I got to the point where I was watching every single match and understanding it like many things right I had to be educated on what an away goal meant and how it worked in a two-legged tie now the excitement and the energy of thinking to myself well if they score one the other team needs to score two and if we do this To me, that was part of the strategy. I loved it. Now, I'll say this. I fell asleep Tuesday watching the Real Madrid PSG game. And I blame UEFA for removing the away goal. Because honestly, Carlo Ancelotti, the most pragmatic great manager in the history of great managers, set up a team to watch paint dry at the camp. You know, and that's what he did. He had no intention of attacking. He knew Benzema wasn't right. He knew they couldn't score goals. 
So he set up a defensive outfit and he tried. I genuinely believe Carlo Ancelotti was playing for a nil-nil draw. And, and because of it, the best player on the pitch, who I'm sure Real Madrid will be happy when they sign next year, and <laughs> whoever the manager is that replaces Carlo Ancelotti will probably be happy as well that he has Mbappe on the team. Oof, but he scores that worldly goal in, in, you know, in late times. And to me, that's what removing the away goals process hurts for me is that the play is no longer the same. And I think Chris puts it out here, you know, Chris Train says away goals being taken away, you know, makes zero sense. It was supposed to even the score and between smaller teams and the opposition and the big boys. And it does. Sorry, right? Kelly. You got me falling asleep there talking about Real Madrid. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well played, Jamie. I, I was questioning whether or not you could actually stay with the topic or not. But no, I know that it, was all, it was all acting comedy. I'm but joking. I'm it, joking. It, no, I mean, it really was. You, you it was a fantastic four. points about, about the away goals. Like it, it is. It's, it's part and parcel of the game. You know, it's part and parcel of European away leg football. Um yeah, it, it's going to be hard to tell. Uh, it's going to take a lot of time to get used to. And I think we'll also see it'll take a lot of time to determine what the impact of taking the rule away is. Let's let's see sure. five years from now how this rule change does impact the two-legged affairs. You know, oh, could this team have gone through, you know, this, this underdog team against Barcelona have gone through just had they – had this rule again, you know? You know what the problem there is, Scott? What? That would all make sense if to Chris Strain's point was, is that, and I'll bring it back up on the screen here, that UEFA was actually doing it to help even the score. But I believe this rule it's was the removed yep. is because UEFA wants to protect the big boys. They yep. don't want the RB Salzburgs or, you know, Salzburg, RB Salzburgs to get their first match against Bayern and take them 1-1 and then go get a goal on the road or get two goals on the road in advance on a draw. Because yeah. UEFA has actually recognized that it doesn't help them when the little minnows make it through. We talk about the Champions League and the drama and the, the Cinderella's, right? It's not any different with the basketball tournament in America. Everyone talks about the wonderful college basketball tournament. But at the end, they still want the top eight teams playing at the end because it helps their advertising. It helps the money. And that well, no, maybe maybe I'm maybe I'm misconstruing what you just said, Gally. But I, I remember reading an article, and I can't necessarily remember if it was just about the English Premier League or if it was about soccer in general. But they were saying something about more often than not, the minnows prob probability wise, the, the 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 teams that shouldn't be beaten. Giants, giant killings happen more often in, in soccer than they do in any other sport. Hmm. Um, so to your point and, and to Chris's point as well, it's supposed to help smaller teams, but I, I'm not sure it does. I, I don't know. Like I said, it, it's going to take a long time to figure this out because yep. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's going to be an issue that, could potentially be larger than, than than what we assume it is. Yeah, it's a problem. You know, I don't like um, I don't like this idea of, of rules changing. Like like that's a subtle <laughs> rule, but it could potentially be uh, a very important one. You know, yeah, what what ifs and maybes can't be measured is what I'm saying. Um, so I think it could be a potentially dangerous thing. And and to Chris's point, you know, I, I brought this comment up. I didn't want to cut you off, Jamie. I just want to make sure Chris understands and any other listener, I am by no means, I'm advocating that the away, the, the away goals rule was required to help yeah. the smaller club. Mm -hmm. I am a supporter who looks at the names on the sheet and immediately roots for the better story yeah. in any sport and especially this sport. So the fact that the powers that be are once again creating rules to work with their pocketbooks and their pockets and the coffers rather than the supporters is one more reason that I really feel like, you know, for as much as we're not going down the super league conversation with 10 minutes to go here, 
And that's I, that's what it before. is, right? Hey, you didn't buy the Super League bullshit, so fuck you guys. We're taking oh, your away we'll, goals. I mean, it's almost, though, it's no different. They were mad at the Super League for only helping the big clubs. And now that the powers that be are pulling people down, they're almost saying, like, we're going to do what you wanted. We're going to help you big clubs. Yep. So just shut up and stop trying to break off your little uh, no UEFA allowed, you know, with the big sign on the and, door. And, Galley, uh, you know, I completely agree with your point. I can't really speak for basketball. I don't know too much about it. I obviously know that the March Madness people love those underdog stories. But, you know, let's say come next round, you know, we love underdog stories. We want Red Bull Salzburg to go as far as possible. But – to UEFA, what is more of a moneymaker? Red Bull Salzburg versus PSG or Bayern versus PSG? I, it, I'd argue I'd, I'd, I'd argue it's more lucrative for a smaller team to get more money than it is for the bigger oh, clubs to keep continue for, getting more money. For sure, they're gonna get more money than obviously they they're used to or or that you know accumulation short sightedly yeah. exactly for sure. But to to Galley's point, you know. UEFA want those big name games. They they want these monster super clubs. Like you said, that's super league. They want those clubs playing each other because those are the most marketable across people of the casual fan. Yeah. Us three will die to watch Red Bull Salzburg tear Messi a new one. But UEFA doesn't want that. that that's the reality of it. Speaking of Messi, I will say the only thing that woke me up was the announcer on Sirius XM clamoring after he missed yet another penalty. <laughs> and I'm sorry. We can all talk about the greatness that is, and he's probably the greatest living player of my lifetime. But the man has, has missed as many penalties in the Champions League as all but one player. Only Terry Henry missed more penalties wow. in his professional career than Messi. And that's not a record you want. Other than you haven't missed any. I don't know about you guys, but I haven't missed one. Yeah, uh, I'm I've never perfect, missed one, actually. but I wasn't allowed to take them on my team. So I just <laughs> I am. I, I, I didn't, I didn't get juju out of Messi. Messi, uh, Andy Robertson and Liverpool killed Messi. I, 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 I don't think you're that far off, Jamie. Of course, they played in the Europa they played Europa League tonight, but they, they won tonight, didn't they? I, I believe. Not that I give they it grew. a tie. Our, they drew. Yeah, they drew. Napoli, they drew. And and I will say it was it was very nice seeing them uh <laughs> very nice seeing them play in the Europa League. That was very happy. My 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 biggest uh greatest idea was that both Barcelona and Manchester United would both be jettisoned down to the Europa League and Messi and Ronaldo would have to play each other in a two-legged <laughs> affair. To see who could go to the round of 555 in the Europa League, you know, or maybe even drop down to the Europa Conference. That would have just been something special. Mean, so, meanwhile, Milner's still in the Champions League. Like, yep. I will say this: we're gonna we're gonna dovetail away from all the positives, right? And this is a wonderful podcast when you have a midweek win like that and you set yourself up to move on to the quarterfinals in the Champions League. And your squad is only getting stronger and healthier as you get ready to compete for more and more titles. But it wasn't all positives leaving Milan. So as we found out today, we have seen that it isn't just—it wasn't just a precautionary substitution uh, for Jota. Um, that it was an actual ligament damage injury, and there are pictures of him. Uh, I have one here. I'm going to bring it up on the screen. It is very small, so I'll apologize. But uh, this shows the type of reporting we do at American Scouser. We steal people's cell phone pictures to report on for you. And if you <laughs> zoom in there, you will see a walking boot and two crutches. And it is never a good idea when you can't leave the city in which you are traveling home without crutches. And they're now talking that it looks like Jota most likely will be out through at least the League Cup final. Let, let me jump in on this. Let me jump in on this, right? So Liverpool fans, being typical Liverpool fans, we're never, we're never satisfied. Some of us. You know, like 
Like we can't just take you know away win at, at the San Siro against Inter Milan. Um, at full time, there was rumors going around that Ox was injured and out for the rest of the season. Um, turns out it was just a physio stretching him out on the sideline. Um, you know, Jota may be out for a couple of weeks. He may miss the final coming up at the end of February. Um, I'm not necessarily that worried because we've got a player like Diaz. Because we've got the two uh, two of the front three back from AFCON. But, you know, John has been fantastic. I, I've been his number one fan. I, I absolutely adore everything about his game. He's direct, strong, doesn't give a shit, excellent at celebrations. Um, what's not, not to love? Like, he, he's the best Portuguese, Portuguese striker in the league, in the world, in Portugal. I mean, the list goes on. I love him the bits, um, but if he has to miss three or four weeks, then surely now's the time because, you know, yes, we've got the final, but we've got a good stretch of home games coming up. I'd much rather him now miss a few weeks and be ready for the for the end of the season than, than kind of what last season because he, he missed a, a great deal. Um, again, when he was in similarly fantastic form. Um, but, yeah, I mean... He's fantastic. I love him. <laughs> Scott, how about you? Uh, impact on the club to lose your number one striker and second leading scorer. And yeah, the guy I, who's created the most opportunities on the pitch for your club. Going I, into a week time where you're playing twice a week, including a, a, a League Cup final at Wembley. To, to piggyback off Jamie, I, I do think that don't get me wrong, Shoto is a loss for any team. And, and the fact that he is coming off of, you know, especially Wolves, incredible, an incredible pastor of, of putting the ball in the net for us is definitely a loss for any team, like I said. But I, I think that we as a fan base have to stop looking at our squad as this is our starting 11 that Jota is our starting striker because we have began to mold to a team that doesn't have a set starting 11 we we can say obviously that there are some shoe-ins like you know obviously you know three of the four back line is is a shoe-in to start but now we have the luxury of debating who the other center back for Van Dyke is. We have the luxury of debating who the better striker is, Jota or Firmino. And obviously that doesn't just have to be putting the ball in net. It has to do with the overall play of our team. So yeah, we will lose Jota and that will lose something across the board of, of what he brings to play. But I do think that we are in a point now we have five of our next six games at home. We have a, fresh revitalized squad barring any future injuries again everyone knock on wood all of you listening knock on some wood go find it but we're we're in a good point that when we need players fit and firing for the stretch at the end or when we get into later stages of the champions league then that's when i want my players fit and firing for sure and there's no questions about that the impact it will have on the squad isn't as glaring, which was where I was going to try to take this conversation with you guys, is because we've strengthened it and we have other players still coming back. You know, you know, Taki is a player that uh, divides the fan base, but when he gets moments to play, he usually gets moments to score and scores goals. Divac has, well, we all know on this podcast the the place in which Divac holds for Jamie, the place in which he holds for Bickler, and I'm right in between where I can't understand exactly why I love him so much or why I hate him. And the reason I hate him is because is I'm pretty sure I care more about the success of the club than he does. But they hate us because they hate us, Cali. They hate us because they hate us. That is, that is absolutely <laughs> true, Jamie. So we only have a minute or two left here, guys. Um, it was a great show. I want to thank you guys. We, we bounced around. We had a big match to cover. I uh, really enjoyed the conversation around the Champions League away goals because I think when we touch on things that are bigger than just the club, 
It allows us to actually share our ideas and, and why we love this game so much. And the and we help educate some of those newer fans, uh, especially a lot of those in the United States that we're trying to support here at American Scouser. Saturday morning, you expect rotation against Norwich. You expect a similar starting 11. And what do you expect for a result? We got about a minute each, so let's just wrap it up. Jamie, we'll start with you. Let's go 5-0, Suarez style. Um, heavy rotation, why not? I mean, um, yeah. Fuck it, it's only Norwich. <laughs> I mean, it, you are playing a team in the championship. They just have to wait four more months to get there. That's uh, right. I would play them in the cup in a couple of weeks. Fish, how about you? Uh, give me your prediction for the scoreline and what you see rotation, if any. Uh, I think 5-0 would be great if all five of those can come from Salah because he's triple captained this week for my fantasy team. Uh, I think uh, I think that'll be great. Uh, in terms of rotation, I, I do see that there's definitely going to be both uh, of our midfielders ahead of Fabinho will be changed from this game. I, I think that um, Elliot and Tiago will, will get a break, and I think that one of – Henderson or two of Henderson, Keita, and Jones will get the start. I think Matip comes back into the to the lineup. Um, but yeah, I like I said, you know, we we have the depth now to create rotation to give players. You know, maybe Diaz gets a start. Uh, I think that you know, as a fan base, it's really exciting to no longer know what we're gonna get each game. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with that more. I think we'll see some rotation. I think we'll probably see. Uh, I think you'll probably see Shamikis get a start in the back uh, at left back. I think giving maybe Robo a little rest with the Leeds match coming midweek. Uh, I could also see, you know, this could be a James Milner start, you know, a match where you can actually throw out the 85 year old and the old bones <laughs> aren't going to get run off the pitch and he'll pick up his yellow card in the first, you know, 17 minutes and make it to the 63rd minute. Like he does every single match. Um, I think you can see that up front. I'm with you. I, I think this could be another Luis Diaz start and could be Klopp's way of really getting him engaged. And who knows? Maybe this could be a Diaz, Mane, and Salah start to yep. give Firmino a little rest. I think what the Jota injury is going to do and where I was trying to take it is, is I think it's going to allow us to see a more fluent mixture of the front three and players playing in different positions. Yep. But I almost believe that Jota and Salah had almost written their names in as, you know, one Solid and starters. three. Yep. You know, one and three with Virgil probably number two as the second name on a team sheet. You know, yep. Mo's name goes on the team sheet because he'll eat your arm if you try to say that he's <laughs> not going to start. And, you know, for all those out there worried in the fantasy world that Salah's not going to get both starts, even if he doesn't, there's still a good chance he'll come off the bench and score three goals against one of those treads. So go ahead. Make him your triple captain. Everyone with a brain in America is going to do it. And here's my last FDL tip for those folks. This is why you don't make transfers early. Because all those people that made transfers early yep. are going to have an injured Jota sitting on their bench with two games they thought he was going to play. So hold off, folks, till you know a couple hours before the deadline. Make your moves. Pick up your three Liverpool players. Triple captain Salah. And I hope... All of you green arrows all the way through the week, right? Green That's arrows right. all the way up. And everybody that follows American Scouser knows we're all rooting for Kelly Galvin, who is this close to making it into the top 10,000 of the entire game. And I got to give my wife credit. When we started playing this game five years ago, she honestly didn't know a single player's name. And now <laughs> she reads off the players to me and then makes fun of me when I make bad moves. And she does better than I do. So, so, so Gali, you know I've been playing fantasy for a long time. Traditionally, where I come from, there's when you're in a league together. Now, your case, your scenario is different. You're in a house together. <laughs> now, when I was in a league with my friends back home, we, you know, we had our private group. We have our American Scouser group, but I have my private group with my friends. It's all about bragging rights. Maybe there's a couple of pints thrown in on the wager to make it sweet. Um, more than a couple. But always, there's a forfeit at the end of the season. Now, quite famously, 
Um, Shankly, when we got beat, his wife used to say that he 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 used to clean the stove. He would clean the he'd get on his hands and knees and he'd just be furiously cleaning the stove, cleaning the stove, cleaning the stove. We didn't lose that often, but when we did, he'd clean the stove. I I can see some stove cleaning in your future. <laughs> uh, it's probably stove cleaning, Jamie. There's probably a trip or two. We talked about it the other day. We've we've been, you know, the bets have gone out there. The problem is, is she likes to make like a, like real, you know, you get in a United jersey and I'll take a picture bet. That shit can't happen. That no, shit it ain't cannot. Happen. No, it can't, Kelly. No, no, no it can't. I, I, I'll get I'll get divorced first. Like that that stuff's <laughs> not gonna happen. And yeah. and she knows. So we're gonna keep rooting for Kelly. You know, we're going to keep rooting for Team Klopp back to uh, stay at top of the American Scouser bracket. Believe it or not, she's basically almost run this thing wire to wire uh, where she's been in the top, which is really, really impressive. This isn't an easy game to play. And as those in our Discord channel will know, it's mainly because the game is broken and hard. That makes it so tough to do well. That is right. Um, it's rigged. But it's not said by everybody not doing forever. well. It's been this Correct. way forever. You <laughs> just haven't got used to it. It's the heartbreak. It's an absolute pain in the arse. But it's kind of like watching Divock Origi. You never know what you're going to get. That is, that, is, that is a great segue to end this out. And where we're going to go right now uh, is we're going to take it out of here on Chris Strain's comment. When we were talking about Jota's injury and where we were going, he made probably the most poignant point of this entire show and that is we are fine we've got joel Mossip. and it is true that's right if you can't get on having fun watching that giraffe run up and down the pitch go on long-standing runs come back with a smile and then a smirk that looks like he's confused that he doesn't understand why you think it's funny he's smiling and the best part is there's probably a t-shirt representing that emotion of him looking at himself in a t-shirt. Joel so guys, Andre Maddock, man. The only man to slap Hendo on the back of the head and then just smile at him like nothing. That's right. Him. The only one to slap him on the back of the head and survive. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> guys, uh, we went over tonight, and that's how you know it's been a lot of fun. And uh, we could have talked about these topics all day and all night. I appreciate you both very much. To everyone listening, please like, share. If you're interested in joining our Discord fan channel and getting involved in this ongoing community conversation that happens basically every minute of every day, um, feel free to drop us a message, comment, or send us a private message through Facebook Messenger. We'll make sure to send you the link. We would love to have you guys involved. If you can, please share and like. Uh, and if you have comments or ways that we can make this podcast or any of our content at American Scouser better for you, the Liverpool supporter here in the United States, that's what we're here for. So please continue to share those comments and thoughts with us because um, we're here for you. Up the Reds, guys, make it a good week. We'll see you on Thursday. Absolutely. Up the Reds. Up Wembley! the Reds. See you guys. Wembley! <laughs> We're the greatest team in Europe, but we're going to win,